camera rolling, the camera is on. This is what I had to deal with when I did this podcast because I only had a limited window of opportunity to talk to Brian Solis, who is a really good friend of mine, great thought leader, head of innovation design at ServiceNow, author of this great book, The Experience. Why am I talking so fast? Because this is what the TikTok generation expects, apparently. We talk about that in this particular podcast. I also had to quickly get all the video cameras set up throw a lapel mic on and pray to God that it worked, and it did. I only had 30 minutes with the great friend of mine, Brian Solis. We had conversations about innovation, culture, empathy, digital experience, and AI. How did we fit all of that into 30 minutes while still talking about champagne, being good parents, drinking red wine, and everything else that comes with talking on a podcast in the middle of a laneway somewhere in Melbourne. Can you believe it? I actually tried to take him to a Melbourne bar and I ended up at a European bar that didn't have any Australian Pinot. That was the first fail. I didn't tell him because they had champagne and he liked champagne. Anyway, this is Brian Solis on the Tech Seeking Human podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I liked it. I'm going to go. Brian, welcome to the Tech Seeking Human podcast. Fancy finding you down a laneway in the middle of Melbourne. <laughs> well, it's better it's better to do it here than it is to do it virtually like we did the last time. So, and even better with with wine and champagne. Cheers. Cheers. Really good to see you. Good to see you. First time in a long time. It's been a it's long been, time. Yeah, it has. Follow you a lot on Instagram. I say a lot and about I you follow posts. you. Yeah, you follow me. You think I'm a brilliant dad, which is Propaganda. <laughs> it's it certainly look. I I I for all those listening, I said he should win the Dad of the Year award. I won't disagree with you. I'll just say yes to you for now. Tell me about um. Tell me about your role. You've just taken a role as a global innovation head of global innovation at ServiceNow, which is a big new role for you. Yeah, it's a big exciting role. Uh, so it's one of the reasons why I've come to visit Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane as well. Uh, so as the head of global innovation, uh, part of my charter is to lead the vision and strategy for our executive briefing center and also our, our new innovation centers that are starting to come online. And that vision is really aimed at a couple of things. One is making sure that our customers get the best possible experience. But as someone who's worked his, my whole career in innovation, it's really, it's really about helping them transform their companies, not just on the platform, but thinking bigger about what that transformation needs to look like in a world that's changing so dramatically. Because yeah. if you don't push them, most executives will tend to just look at technology as a way of improving what is, what exists, optimizing it. But this is that exact moment when you gotta reimagine or even question what you do and how you need to do it better, especially in an AI first world. Yeah, with the, the the internet's done this. Well, the technology's going this full cycle. Like we had probably, we had the cloud, we had digital experience with all that, and all of a sudden COVID came in, and now we've got AI coming in. There's all these different mega trends, but also these micro trends. And it feels like when you talk to someone at like AWS or you talk to any of the cloud providers, they're all talking about different ways of coding. How do you keep up? <laughs> that, that was my long way of saying there's so many mega trends and then there's all these micro trends. But how do you, how, how does someone keep up with all of this? Well, you, you can't, right? You need a you need a team of futurists and analysts making sense of all these mega trends, but more importantly, the micro trends, right? So for example, 
if AI is a mega trend, a micro trend would be uh, how is AI as a user interface transforming how people want to interact with technology? That could just be one micro trend. Yeah. Another micro trend could be if generative AI becomes an output mechanism and people become better on the input mechanism to drive better outcomes, then how does that change how they work with the rest of the organization's yeah. interfaces, right? So these microtrends are hyper-transformative. Take it on the, on the customer side of things. How are they going to be making decisions? Uh, well, how does that change the future of search? How does it, how does it change influence? So these microtrends, it's impossible for one person to keep up with them, but you have to. Like every organization has to pay attention to these things. And I always say that every executive is asking about like what their AI strategy is, yeah. but none of them are asking like, how is AI reshaping my market so that we can use strategy more effectively than AI enables that strategy to be more effective. So those are the conversations that I, I think we need to have more of. What, what do you, um, for, in terms of like an AI strategy, what are they asking you? Like, like what are the big things that the executives are coming to you right now and they're going, I need help with? Well, well the, the natural thing is, and where we put them through an EBC program or an innovation center program, they want to know how AI is going to enhance or optimize their implementation of ServiceNow. Yeah. But we just ran an ad in Wall Street Journal around thinking about AI to reimagine your business. Yeah. And the copy, it doesn't read like an ad, it reads more like a manifesto. And it's, real, it's a real special moment in that executives don't know what they don't know, so therefore they don't know what to ask. So they ask what it is that they do know, like how can we optimize what yeah. we do with AI? What they're not asking are things like, and, and, and though we encourage these conversations, which is, you know, are these the right processes we want to apply artificial intelligence to? What are the what are your business objectives? Maybe we'll start there. Where are we trying to take the organization? Where where is your market going? And then we can reverse engineer backwards of like how do we use AI on the platform to help you achieve that? It's 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 more it's probably the best time to start having those conversations because yeah. certainly in between COVID and AI the world was thrust into uh, an era of uncertainty, you know, to, to yeah. use that, that word that's probably been used more, more often than not. But ask yourself this, when was there ever a moment of certainty in business, yeah. right? If, this is, if you operate in an era of uncertainty all the time, then you're actually questioning yourself all the time and you're looking for opportunities to be better, do better, to iterate and innovate. It was like, uh, Andy Grove, the former CEO of Intel, wrote in his book, only the paranoid survive. You have to constantly be questioning the things you're doing to be better than you were yesterday, every day. What are the good companies doing? How are they staying abreast of what's going on? Because I see like organizations, it takes them a long time to implement new technologies and to build practices. Is it constant evolution with teams that just get it and they... They're building a culture that enables them to build the tools that enables them to build the outcomes. The best companies do have a culture of innovation and they're few and far between. They also have a leader who's more vested in that culture of transformation to be successful, which means that they're not a typical hierarchical yep. uh, political leader. They're, they're someone who's leading from the middle, you know, that they're empowering their teams. Like that's, they, they say that the best leaders 
create more leaders, right? Like you, you, the, the reason that decision cycles and change takes so long is because it's got to go down and around the organization. But when you extend it in a flatter organization where everybody feels empowered to take risks and make decisions and to test and learn and unlearn, you move faster. And I think the most successful companies are looking at not only that type of model and, and creating a culture of innovation, but I think you also need to think about the types of people you have in your organization. So as a former analyst, you know, you, you do need a team of people that are so far ahead of understanding emergent trends before they even become mega trends so that you can scenario plan or, or, or futurize or whatever methodology you want to use so that you're, you're making investments well ahead of the curve. Yeah. So nothing should ever be a surprise yet. AI came as a surprise to most companies all around the world. So many companies though live in the what's next quarter, what's next quarter, what's next quarter. And they forget to go like, where do we want to be in three years? And they might say where they want to be, but do they really have a strategy to help them get to that three years? It's sort of, it's like, we, we, we think we want to be there, but we just need to keep doing this quarter to quarter. And it doesn't necessarily correlate to where they want to end up. Do you, is that ring true? It's, uh, well, it's definitely short-termism. Yeah. And every, look, it's a performance thing. It's the nature of the, it's the nature of the beast. Unfortunately, you have to perform at that level. People, especially publicly traded companies, they want to see return and they don't care about all of the things that you have to struggle with or deal with or, or manage unlimited resources. They don't care about that. They just want their returns. If they don't get their returns, it affects your stock and then you have, or it affects other things. And then you have even bigger problems that you have to contend with. But the idea is you need a leader who understands how to manage the short term while playing the long term. I call it a, a yo-yo on an escalator. So it's constantly up and down, but you're always moving up. And that, that moving up is the vision. The yo-yo is the quarter to quarter performance, but you got to understand where you're trying to go and why you're on that path. Yeah. And then enable the facets of the organization that perform well quarter to quarter, but also perform well over the long term. It's different, different ways of operating. There's also different skill sets that you want in those, in those positions. But if you don't know what that long-term game is, right? AI is not the last disruption, right? Innovation cycles are happening faster and faster. We have quantum on the horizon. We have so many other things on the horizon. We have general AI on the horizon. Those plans should be in place now, but the processes of which you evaluate those trends and what you do with that, that's, that's a skill. That's a differentiator. That's a competitive advantage. Yeah. If you feel like I'm really putting you under the pump, I know you've had a long flight, and you've just got here. But if I was to put you on stage now and you've got 20 minutes to talk about what an organization can do to advance their innovation strategy, and we had a pie chart, what percentage of time would you be talking about culture versus tools versus people versus leadership? Can you give a, like in your head as you think about these, is it digital experience that people, or experience, customer experience that people need to be thinking about? Is it equal all? Uh, I, I think if I, had to, if I had to look at the Venn diagram, you would have iteration, innovation, and disruption, right? Iterating is where you're constantly improving the things that are good within the organization, using technology, tools, people, process, all those things. 
The other circle would be innovation. It would, it would in, depending on your appetite for risk and also your, your threat to digital Darwinism, like how threatened are you based on all of these things? That circle gets bigger or smaller accordingly. Then the third circle is disruption, where you invest probably a smaller group of resources that are trying to put the other two out of business. Yeah. Because if you're not trying to disrupt yourself, someone else will or something else will. Yeah. So that at a high level would be sort of like the, the, the Venn diagram of my 20 minute speech. Yeah. But then from there, what enables all of them to be successful is culture and leadership. Innovation is an outcome of culture. Great iteration is an outcome of culture. But people don't talk about culture the way that it, it's actually meant to be, which is it's a way of working. It's a, a why of working, aware of working. Yep. What's that future motivating state? And what are the beliefs that we have as an organization that are going to help us achieve that future motivating state? And then what are the behaviors that we want and the roles that we want within the organization that are going to bring to life those beliefs? What are the semiotics that we're going to place throughout the organization that you're going to see and read and feel as a reminder that we're on this path, on the right path? Because also all those things create the norms. And based on what you reward and what you don't, reinforce those behaviors. So that that's culture and that's true leadership. And we don't have those conversations in mass. Yeah. And are you seeing a difference in, um, you, you talked earlier about successful cultures aren't necessarily the hierarchical ones. You said lead from the middle. That's a different way of approaching how a business should run. And different cultures actually probably can react differently to a very flat organization that's you know, has value teams that can all go off and do things versus a culture that really needs hierarchy and discipline. It's, it's hyper-dependent on how that is going to be successful, which is tied to leadership, which is tied to culture. Uh, culture also defines how other people feel when something like that is happening and whether it incentivizes or decentivizes morale. So all these things have to be consideration because in the end, we're human beings. But I'll give you an example. Jim Farley, who's the CEO of Ford, he's someone to me that leads from the middle. You know, when, when dealers get access to all these great new cars that they're selling and they mark up the prices so high as a means of trying to drive profit, it affects the brand. Jim noticed that and he was committed to doing something about it. When the new Ford F 150 E version, hit the market, he took it on a road trip around the country yeah. so that he could record his experience of what it's like to be an owner of a car that doesn't have an internal combustion engine, right? Yeah. So, cool. so he's learning firsthand about what great service looks like, what great engineering looks like, where are there opportunities to make improvements because he is customer zero. That's the gift of empathy. So anybody who leads from the middle has the gift of empathy because they're learning and feeling what's around them and finding it, using it as an opportunity to be better, but to, to also to help people see that they play a really important role in driving what's going to be different. So to your question about like how 
Like how how important and how big of a thing is this? It is it is a I I think a matter of survival for companies that can be disrupted anywhere at any time. But I also see it as an opportunity to not even worry just about disruption, but to just be great. Like just just be great, be greater. And use those as moments, those like learning moments to challenge the status quo, but also challenge your own playbook, challenge your own biases, challenge your own reward systems, and and go out and learn what it is that makes this world go around. It starts by understanding how your product works. Like it's, it's great to hear of a CEO that's actually getting in the vehicle. And sometimes you wonder whether some of the airlines are getting onto planes or they're using oh, yeah. the apps oh, yeah. to book and they have the same experience or they get chauffeured through things. They need to actually experience that. I remember reading um, Jim Collins' is Good to Great. And I think it was either Continental or United, but basically the airline was in disarray. And he went through the whole process of talking to everyone to see what it's like to be a baggage handler. Go sit at a checkout kiosk and see what it's like there. And I think the more that you can understand what's going on, as well as talking to the customers of who you're selling to, the closer you're going to get. I always tell people within my team, go talk to a customer and go find out what they're experiencing. And I don't know what it is, but people are like, they don't, they're, are they scared? Like, do you think, what, why are people not empathetic as leaders? It's native to me. To like just want to have empathy and try and understand. So what do you do for work? And that's why I do a podcast because I ask lots of questions and I try to listen and I try to learn. But not everyone's like that. No, no. Because, because a lot of times people, it's how we're conditioned. It's how we're taught in school. We're taught in a rigid format. We're taught in linear processes. We're taught in hierarchical growth. So if, if, you, if you watch Sir Ken Robinson's TED Talk, he talks about how creativity is educated out of us at a young age, when in fact, creativity is probably the greatest skill that we could use today, where you show up differently, you imagine differently, you solve problems differently. One of the fastest ways to that is empathy and also creativity. Uh, and empathy is a gift. It's a, it's, it's, it's a perspective that you feel, and once you feel it, you can't unfeel it. But most people aren't they're taught otherwise yeah okay and they're reinforced otherwise think about this the ceo of a publicly traded company could absolutely fail and make 50 million dollars just to get fired yeah there's the, the incentive structure isn't trying to reward you know, chance taking chances or taking risks or experimenting at least not in public but that's why when when a company does so exceptionally well like apple that actually lives with human-centered design, where empathy is a pillar of human-centered design, they outperform the market, and rightfully so, because they can, they can give customers what they want, but they also know their customers so well, they can identify opportunities to develop experiments that lead to products that customers didn't even know they wanted, but once they see it, they can't live without it. Are they hiring for those sort of things? Are the good companies hiring for empathy? Uh, well, they're certainly hiring for certain characteristics. I don't know that I've actually seen empathy uh, as... <laughs> Come up uh, as a question. But I have seen customer-centered or human-centered. Yeah. And I have seen things where empathy is a part of that practice. Yeah. Now, I've got one for you. A couple more mm -hmm. questions because I know you've got to race to dinner. You're a busy man tonight. 
Um, digital experience or customer experience has always been center of what you've often spoken about. And now we have AI and automation as a key pillar of what you talk about. As users, we get spoiled. We have Disney and Netflix and our apps and they work all the time. But some of the research suggests otherwise that we're getting, uh, we're getting, we expect more out of our experiences every single time we go onto apps or any of digital services or we walk into any store. Do you think companies are keeping up? No, 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 no. There, ex, experience innovation is the greatest differentiator. Apple gets it. Any company that delivers a better experience can, can in the very least, expect a 25% premium yeah. because customers are willing to pay for a brand that they know will give them better service, a better product, a better, a better relationship. But the reason why this isn't a priority comes back to a question you asked earlier. Leaders are not on the other side of a customer service line. Yep. Leaders are not on the other side of a of, of booking portal. They're, they're, they're on the other side of shareholders or stakeholders or other things that sort of prevent them from having that empathy. But it is not just customer experience or not just employee experience, just experience in general. Yeah. I'll give you an example of how important this is, but how little credence we give it. When, in 1994, when Amazon.com launched, and then in 1999, when we started to see sort of the mass consumerization of internet access, e-commerce was born. Now it's 2023, about to be 2024. E-commerce still looks a lot today like it did in the 1990s and early 2000s. And all of that was was just a digital extension of a catalog. Yeah. Right? Nothing groundbreaking. Then when mobile really started to hit with the iPhone in 2006, 2007, Apple introduced an entirely new way of interacting with information. And what did we do? We took websites and made them work on a smaller screen. We didn't reimagine yeah. a website or an e-commerce site for an entirely new way of interacting with information. We just ported it over. To get in these really, really horrible bad practices of iteration for the sake of making it work, we get so busy with everything else that we never look backwards to say, in hindsight, mobile was the, mobile was the opportunity to actually be great. And now with spatial computing on the horizon, it's going to introduce yet another way of interacting with information and the world around you. Yeah. And yet none of those things are probably going to catch up. Yeah. But at one moment, one company will reimagine it all. And all of these things will become outdated. And these, these companies will be competing on experience. These companies won't. That's next level disruption. And it's guaranteed to happen. Yeah, you're spot on. It's like you can't teach a dog new tricks, but we've been teaching the dogs new tricks for ages where we go, well, oh, we'll just launch this new mobile app and it'll fundamentally be the same as that and it's run by a different team. And as you sort of went through that iteration, I was like, the companies that can design for the customer first based on whatever that new platform is and just rethink how to deliver it, they'll be the ones that will be really disruptive. And you start thinking through things like, do we even need websites? No. <laughs> like... Like brochureware sometimes, can you not just do it with a chat bot? Or like, what will the future look like? It could be radically different than the way in which we think today of website, mobile app, 
mobile device point of sale system. Yeah. This is why this is why human centered design is so important and empathy is so important. The micro trends that we talked about earlier, if you take one as TikTok is a micro yeah. is, is both a mega trend and a micro trend in that TikTok brain is an outcome of TikTok's popularity, which means that it speeds up how you experience the world. It speeds up how you process information, not for the better, by the way. Claire, who's sitting over there, and I were walking over here, and we noticed that the crosswalks now have lights on the, on the sidewalks, which is an outcome of TikTok and social media in general, because more people are looking at their phones yeah. and walking into traffic. And so these, so if you take, if you take the crosswalk as a metaphor and you say, well, what's the equivalent of a website? Well, you live in a time where people listen to podcasts at 1.5 X because they don't have the time to sit there and listen to it. You, ha you live in a time where TikTok users are demanding artists record faster versions of their songs. So you play that out now in a website scenario. No, it's not necessary, and nor does it engage a TikTok brain in any way, shape, or form. Uh, AI, an AI-powered chatbot, like say something that, like from Conversica, or that can have an intelligent conversation with you that helps you make a decision. You don't, you don't need a website at all, and not certainly not one that's written by people that never tested that copy with with the user, right? Like I, I, uh, I. I still can't believe we're in that scenario. So anyway, it's a long way of saying people are changing as yeah. in, 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 as a from their relationship with their technology and their personal lives. Yeah. And businesses aren't keeping up. Neither is education, by the way. You know, we still have textbooks you know, with, with students whose TikTok brain. Still have libraries. Yeah, they can't I ask read. my kids, like, what do you do in the library? And they're like, homework. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, fundamentally... Like if you had to reinvent the textbook, I, I experimented with this with my book X. I used a, a high school teenager as sort of the inspiration of if you had to design a book, a textbook for a, a, a mobile brain, because TikTok wasn't out then when that book came out. If that brain does not go left to right in a Z formation and it's dynamic, how would you define how would you design a page to be engaging? And that was a fun experiment. I had to change. How I wrote and how I designed, we we called it an analog app, but I was the one who had changed. I didn't, I couldn't expect my reader to change, and that's that's it, that's a lesson for where businesses need to go. If that last paraphrase of content you just gave me has blown my mind because you were talking about the speed. Like my my girls are on listening to music and they have their favorite artists, and I already thought it was fast, and then they listen to the speed up faster version and it doesn't sound like a chipmunk they've somehow worked it out so it doesn't sound like Alvin and the chipmunks but it's a fast version of that song and then you listen to the slow version you go I can't hear that song yeah. ever again ever again because it's too slow and even reimagining how they look at content like yeah we're and how kids are programmed like we're talking about how do you build leadership and, ha and have empathy I and mean, the school structure and these kids are learning and you can't stop it you, you can say you're going to stop TikTok and they still find a way to be on TikTok. But the way in which they consume apps, they swipe up, they're visual, they look, they scroll, they look at very little, they read look very little. It does make you think about it in the different communication mediums. 
even websites and apps and how we're designing them and how we have to really understand this next generation because it's going to be completely different. Yeah. What inspires you? Let's finish. Let's finish. Yeah, I know you've got to get to dinner. It's been a great chat. You've given us a lot to dissect. What's inspiring you at the moment? I am... Books, Con music, I'm constantly, I'm constantly plugging in to any form of creativity, to exercise, to... I'm writing my next book, but I'm also reading while I'm writing, which is new for me. I'm reading the, uh, the new Rick Rubin book on creativity. Okay. Really spiritual, really just deep, but simple. Just a wonderful, inspiring read. But I'm always looking for that, that sense of creativity, that opportunity for experimentation, uh, that opportunity for motivation. Uh, and a little secret for anybody who follows me on social media, anytime I share a quote or a motivational video, yeah. it is because it was what I needed to find or hear in that moment. Yeah, and it's a reflection of the creativity exercise that I was just going through. I wondered that because I saw you post some things and I love them and I often share them or like them or whatever. Or comment. But I always look. You've got me like hooked. Even if I haven't necessarily engaged all the time, I'm always reading them. And I wondered if that was a personal reflection. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's a personal. It's a, it's, a, it's a creative exercise for reflection, for understanding, and for, for growth. Oh, fantastic. And Rick Rubin, that's come up numerous times now on a couple of podcasts that I've been talking to. So I usually think a rule of three. And now I've heard it the third time. I've got to go and get this book. So I'll get into it. Yeah. I look forward to your new book. Ah, me, me too. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is wild. You know, a book, a book is supposed to be anywhere between 40 and 60,000 words. Yeah. And I'm clocking in right now at 140,000. So we have a lot to cut. Wow. What's it going to be about? Uh, it's about it's about a lot of what we talked about, okay. you know, and and how do you inspire a new genre of leadership in an era that needs it? Yeah, well, I look forward to it coming out. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast. One last question before you go: you have to finish this sentence. AI will dot 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 will connect all of the disparate data that exists within an organization and the groups behind them to finally make. A, a more holistic organization that can do all the things that we were talking about. Love it, man. Cheers. Good to see you again. Good to see you as always. Yeah, it was excellent.